So, <clears throat> are you feeling better? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> sorry, I'll say a, a, a little bit about the way we practice meditation. <laughs> sorry, I thought it's usually a fool. <laughs> Don't even look at it. <laughs> Pre prepared, you know. <laughs> I just talk a little bit about meditation because I know some of you have been in different places, different teachers, different techniques, different styles. So for you, some of you, the style of Amarati, uh, which differ often between one teacher and another, between one section of our history and another section of history. So I'm kind of the old guard <laughs> in a sense. I, I, I'm very much part of the teaching that was given for the first, you know, 20 years at Amarawa at Chittas and Amarawati, the kind of whole teaching of Ajin Sumedu, which I absolutely adore myself. So you might not be in the same in the same kind of group, but what well, I don't adore Ajin Sumedu, I adore the fact the way <clears throat> he expressed the Dhamma, and I think it's very enlightened actually. It's a very from a very enlightened place. I'm not saying he's enlightened, but from a very um, knowledgeable and wise and under, you know full of understanding of the mind. So I just see I don't you know I don't have a lot. I mean I thought quite a bit about you and <clears throat> what would be helpful. I don't have any papers or anything to follow. Particularly I don't feel I for me right now it's not necessary, but. <clears throat> One thing I know, because I'm also a meditator like you, right? I've done it for quite a number of years. So I know the tricks and I know the thing that works do not work, you know, and I've made mistakes myself. I've made, and so I have also a lot of knowledge about other tradition in a sense that I know I'm not kind of, you know, closed by my own tradition. I've been hanging out with the Tibetan, hanging out with the Zen, hanging out with the Vipassana, in a way, all of us have a common bond, have a common heart, a common center. So it's not that we're so different from the one from the other. It's just the cultural package has made it different. Even in Thailand, you have the monks from the city, the monks from the forest, you know, and the monks from in between the forest and the city. So there is different approach according to the teacher's experience, right? So <clears throat> it's kind of pretty broad range of um, options and choices, you know, what works for us may not work for somebody else, what works for that person might not do anything for somebody else, right? Certainly the teaching of Masan Sumedu, for me, has always been the one, and I've been with, I spent a few years in Thailand with Thai teacher, forest teacher, they're not that they teach different things, it's just he has a, a particular approach which I think, um, to me, uh, I could say, from my experience, it's the most liberating approach. And may, people, actually, when I talk to them about it, they come back and they realize that something has shifted from the mind that's focusing on practice, technique, method, and all that, which we're quite good at that, we can do. Suddenly they see, they realize their mind is not here, 
in terms of having to kind of solve it and do the, the big mind, like you know, big mind, empty mind, big mind. And then you say, well, that's not Theravada, it's Mahayana, you know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you have to realize it yourself. So big mind image, just, you know, when you realize that your mind is what the thing that made a big difference for me was when we were on this, when we were on a three months retreat, actually it was two months at the time, silent retreat with Achen Sumedo. And he, I was myself working with a lot of fear. I was really went through a lot of fear, two months of solid fear. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I don't expect you to do that. <laughs> but what I mean is that at some point, you know, he was also saying, um, you know, the mind is not in the body. Your body is in the mind. And that shifted my whole sense of what the mind is. Because even though in words we have read it, we have studied it, maybe the big mind, you know, Mahamudra mind or whatever, if you have been in Tibetan tradition, you know, the big mind, right? we still don't apply it in our practice. And that's what I love about Achinsumedo's teaching, is that he realized that mind and he applies it in his, in his Theravada practice, which is, we don't talk about big mind, you know, it's different. Or we talked about no self, and no self is exactly the emptiness that, the, for example, in the Mahayana tradition, they talk about. We call it no self, not self. Huh? You don't need to believe me, but I was just uh, reading a little paragraph of Achen Sumedu. I haven't read him for years now, and I just thought I'll, I'll have a look at him because <laughs> I read all kind of different teachers, you know, from time to time, not too often. But the forest teacher, particularly, I love the forest teacher from the uh, Thai forest tradition. And basically, he, he said that, he said exactly that, which is not something I don't know, I know myself, but it's really nice to have several people who understand that this is a case. You know, it's like, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's comforting particularly, but it's really uh, strengthening to know that people you trust, people you know, have practiced, know what they are saying. They're not just saying things, you know, off the top of their head. They're actually sharing something they deeply have realized themselves. So the not-self, and that's what I was reading in a little, just just open the page and I was there, you know. Uh, you know, basically, the not-self, I will come bring it to you, the not-self of, you know, the emptiness that we talk about in Mahayana is actually the Buddha, the Theravada tradition, uh, talks about not-self. And in reality, it's the same thing. Not-self, which means it's empty of whatever, you know. It's empty of what we call substance, we call substance, you know. But you need to realize, this is what you're realizing in, the, in, the, in your meditation. Now, it's not an intellectual pathway. Huh? Intellectual can help, intellectual aspect can help in terms of getting the concept clear, the ideas clear, the direction clear, the intention clear, that kind of thing. But in terms of realization, you need to go beyond the waves of your thinking mind. It's just the superficial waves of the thinking mind. That makes sense? So, but that's not so easy to get to that. We talk a lot about concentration, the jhanas, the this, you know, focusing big is focusing on one point, right? And concentrating and absorbing in one point. Now, being able to see emptiness and to stay focused with, you know, realization on an object to the point where you see it as it is, as anicca, dukkha, anatta, that 
it's not happening immediately. It's like um, a Tibet, uh, Tibet, a Thai, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, was, gave a lovely simile just to give you a sense of what it's like in terms of progress in your um, <clears throat> a realization of your attachment and the place of non-attachment in your practice. Sometimes we don't know how we can see that, you know. So Ajahn Buddha Dasa has a lot of lovely, lovely images to describe this, you know. At first he says, you know, when the thought, when, when objects of the mind come through the chitta, you know, the mind, then it, it's like you, when you're stuck with it, it's like it cuts rocks, you know. It, it leaves traces, can't go far. It, it, it's stuck between two, two heavy rocks. Like, a, like imagine a, 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 a piece of a, a big boulder cut, you know, not just with a trench in the middle, very thin. And it, it goes like the mind is like this. It just cuts through rock. And then a little by little, it, does, it leaves lots of traces. Basically, it leaves cut the mind. Do you understand? It leaves traces, right? Remember it for years sometimes. And then, after a while, the second stage is like, it goes through, it's like cutting through sand. And you know, sand can just be blown with the wind and nothing, everything disappears in, in sand, you know, in a desert. You don't see the same wave for very long. For some reason, things move around. The last stage is like cutting through water. You know, things go through your mind, but they leave no traces at all. So that's a beautiful image, uh, three beautiful images to make us intuitively understand what is, what is this process of letting go. At first, you realize your, your mental objects is like they cut something, it's heavy, heavy. You know how it's heavy to carry a mind that is attached to so many things, right? Second, it just leave traces like in sand, you know, but it's not a big deal. You know, you can, you don't need a chisel to kind of rearrange the stone. It just happened by itself almost. And the third one, water, cut, nothing there. And that's probably after the 10th day of the retreat, you feel like that usually, <laughs> until you have to go back to reality of your daily life. And it all go back and it become not just stone, it's probably become like, what is the titanium, you know? <laughs> so what I'm, the, I, I'm not saying this just to entertain you, I'm saying this to make you realize the, the bigger picture of meditation, you know? Sometimes we say, some people, here we chant. For example, I'm not talking about anybody in particular because I don't know you. Most of you I don't know. Sometimes people react to chanting. They don't want to chant. They want to be silent for them. No. So my little wisdom mind is quite active. You know, it's quite creative as well. So when I see, but I, I don't feel I have to sort of fix people. People can do what they want. As far as I'm concerned, you're free to do what you want within the precepts, of course, you know. But basically, you're free to do what you want. But what I notice is that, because I've seen it in myself as well, is that, oh, God, chanting, you know, can we just sit quietly? Can't you shut up? You know, I just want to sit quietly. I know I'm, I, whether you're doing that or not, I have no idea, but don't worry, I worked with this and I know exactly how to handle this state of affair. <laughs> just have meta for yourself, for just being yourself, you know. 
But I don't, uh, yeah, I don't depend on you <laughs> to continue what I have to do. But what I mean is that when you do your meditation, for example, I was thinking chanting, what is chanting? You can hate it. I'm just taking chanting as one thing, but there's many other things in life that we think, oh, I'm not meditating because I'm not like doing my whatever. If you've been with the Goenkaji, my Vedana Vipassana. Or if you have been with somebody else, something else, you know, many different things you can come up in your mind because you are used to a certain type of tradition, you know. It may be the very traditional Theravada uh, techniques, you know, where you have to be Anapanasati for two hours every day, whatever, or five minutes, but there's only one way kind of thing, you know. And so for you to realize that when you chant, when I was reflecting on this, not that I have I haven't seen any of you, any of you particular verse to chanting, but just for you so you can enjoy, you know, when we do chanting. Mm. Uh, chanting is like a focus. It's, it acts as a meditation object for like a concentration object, okay? And when you start reacting to it, this is your vipassana practice, my dear friends. <laughs> this is your vipassana practice, okay? Hate it, love it. God, has it finished? That's your vipassana. It's like what the vipassana is addressing is a reaction to it. Do you understand? Never think you're wasting your time. Every second is a moment of realization, you know. So don't worry about it. I mean, I've been the most reactive nuns, I think, in the monastery because I have lots of strange French opinions about things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't worry. I've come to terms with that with great love and metta and loving kindness, you know, it's no problem. No problem. And the other thing, okay, so you see that everything can be an act of concentration. When you don't like it, as a Buddha, if you had a really good teacher, they would say, that's exactly what you need. But you know, with the world we live in, it's that we're so stressed in our daily life. We're so burdened with duties and responsibilities that the whole Buddhist teaching has become just another technique to relax, you know, which is quite understandable. Most people don't have a moment to relax and to be really at peace with themselves. So that has taken a lot of the, what, what people think is Buddhism. You understand? Buddhism is I can get anapanasati, I can be calm and simple, I can focus on the body. And you imagine that, you know, that's peaceful and nice, you know, that's what I've, I've had to do with my life. Yes, that's one aspect of the practice. Yeah? Calming the mind down. Quietening, learning how to quieten the mind. Learning how to calm the mind and body. That's a skill of practice. And to learn that is a very important aspect of our practice of meditation. But if you lose the bigger picture, then you're stuck there. You never get free. Do you understand? To free the mind, you have to go through that which is not freeing the mind. Do you understand? To free the mind, you have to understand what is it that stops freeing the mind. Okay? Calming down and appeasing and so is great. Right? It's like taking a, a calming pill is good for the mind and body to relax with the, 
with a, a um, you know, um, what do you call that? I don't take that, they will sing. So, you know, when you have a sedative, like a sedative, mental, physical sedative, it's good because for a little while you feel better. I'm not encouraging anybody to take sedative, don't get me wrong, but it has a sedative effect to kind of calm the mind and body. But the actual disease that we are addressing in the teaching of the Buddha is a disease of the mind known as avijja, of, you know, an attachment to things that make the mind unhappy, such as avijja, such as uh, loba, dosa, you know, greed, hatred, and all the myriads of uh, little uh, children of those. Uh, platforms of those umbrella, you know, your umbrella of greed, the umbrella of anger, and you have the big, big, thick umbrella of delusion on top, you know. So we are actually addressing the disease of the mind. It's not just, you know, a kind of a nice walk in the forest. You can become actually, and once you get really, at, you know, you, you understand yourself better. Once you know yourself better, once you know the medicine you can apply to your mind to continue freeing it, once you know you can live your life in a way that is empowering, independent, and connected, and loving and caring, then you feel much better. But I tell you, well, I won't tell you. <laughs> Otherwise, you might leave the retreat straight away. <laughs> But as a transformator would say, it's like a little, like kind of homeopathic dosage, you know, doses. We get a little bit, we learn a bit of dukkha and then we let it go and we know better. Next time a bit more dukkha comes and then we know better, we let it go. And then we can manage bigger dukkha. I mean, I can tell from experience. I, I didn't think I could do anything in this monastery as a human being except practice. I knew I could practice, no problem. But, you know, to kind of look after people and run a monastery with senior monks and senior nuns, to be able to, you know, I didn't like these things. I didn't want to do these things. Like, I just came for, for understanding Buddhism, you know. I didn't come here to start being a, you know, a kind of Dharma CEO or, you know, or <laughs> having to build a computer, <laughs> having to write things and having to do this and having to be with people that just constantly expect the senior nuns to be better than they wish. Do you know, I mean, I didn't come to the Dharma for that. I came from the Dharma, and you can relate that to your own family, don't you? In your own work, that's the same thing. The same greed, hatred, and delusion just kind of flare up here and there and everywhere sometimes. In couples, families, children, everywhere. It's the same. It's the same mind. We all share the same mind on many levels. So I've got a robe. I just wanted to have an easy life myself. That's why I became a nun. <laughs> People don't always understand. I said, I just want it direct and easy. <laughs> and so I thought I'd just be swimming in Dhamma all day long. You know, that would be easy. I'm not saying you should become monks and nuns. You know, now lots of teachers around. So you're lucky. In my time, you know, there was not many access to teaching and teachers, right? And books. So when you practice, there's two things I can give you. Use it, don't use it, I don't mind. But remember, 
present moment here now. That's the only place where you can see. Don't see it just as a sentence. I mean, I don't want to sound rude to you, but don't see it just as something you remember from the past. Okay, you read this and you keep saying, I must be mindful, and you spend the whole time feeling you're not mindful enough. And you don't even see your mind doing that. You know, I mean, I talked to one woman from Singapore. She studied Buddhism for a long time and she had tea with us, you know, with myself and a group of people. And then, you know, she asked a question and I kind of naturally, I'm quite a prodder, you know, naturally. And because I knew she was, in a way, she was ready. She had a question. She really wanted to know. And I said, well, you know, like, I am not meditator, I don't do well, I'm terrible, I'm impatient, I'm this, I'm that. Isn't it what your mind is saying a lot of the time? Right? Not just me, but I knew that's what we say to each other, to ourselves. And I said, stop, can you hear your mind right now? I am not this, I am not that, I don't get the jhana, I don't get the vipassana, I can't see anicca, I will never make it. This is your mind. Do you understand? Don't go very far. Don't wait to do a PhD before you get to that point. It'd be a shame. You might die before you get it, you know. <laughs> do you understand? This is your mind. I become to the Ajahn Chah tradition, you know, they're all a bunch of neat wits, they just don't know anything about it, you know. We're the best. That's my mind. Anisha Dukanata. Right? It's not over there. I hate that teacher, I can't stand this, I don't like rice. <laughs> I want this, I want that, more cakes, less vegetables, <laughs> better. This is your mind, can you, can you practice all the time? Your mind is here all the time with you. Gosh, my knees hurt. Uh -huh. And then you, you don't liberate your mind because you don't listen to it. Listen, you think you have to, you know, you're still doing, you know, like killing yourself with an apanasati. Waiting for Godo, I think. <laughs> waiting for, you know, Dharma Godo. <laughs> I'm just half teasing, but you know, you can recognize some of this in you. You know, the thing like, um, yeah, nearly there. Nearly they have not started in Sundara, they have really got a glimpse of peace. <laughs> and then you forget it's Anisha Dukanata. <laughs> oh, damn it, you know. That Anisha truth is really a, a bother. I can't, you know, if, if we should be Nietzsche. <laughs> you know, when I get really in a good space. If you really want to enjoy this life of Dharma, Anicca is the greatest fun because it will drive your mind nuts for quite a long time because you want everything to be Nietzsche and permanent. Relationship, job, <laughs> boss, cats, dogs. You want your cat to be, you know, never die. You want your dog to be immortal. You never say that to your neighbor, of course, you know. You know, I've been practicing Buddhism, you know, for many years and... So this thing is Anisha, and then your dog dies. You know, I have a friend, she kind of 
wonderful friend who she nurtured a dog. I mean, for about nine months, she kind of prepared him. He was dying. Nine months is a long time. And she grieved for several years after that. But it's fine. People have to do what they want. Their dogs, her dog was just an amazing kind of enlightening experience for her. We have many ways to get enlightened, you know. Her dogs brought so much dharma and love in her heart that she probably did as well as if done three years of meditation. You don't know. So don't get any idea about how you should be as a Buddhist. Just wake up now. That's now. And don't carry all your, you know, a thousand years of tradition with you. That's really boring for the now. Now is light. There's nobody there. There's nothing there, nothing happening. There's no problem. But, of course, having said that, sounds easy. You do spend, like when the nuns come to me and say, oh, the Anagarika, you know, I say, just don't worry about it. Just give yourself 20 years. And everything comes down, you know. They can't prove. Either they hate me for saying that because they think I'm, or I don't know what goes on in their mind. I'm not so interested because it's all an itch. It all change anyway. But what I mean is that it doesn't happen overnight. Don't wait for the moment where suddenly you'll be, ping. You get bored up there. You know that when you concentrate, you get bored after a while because your mind just want to do something else. <laughs> So, I'm just giving a bigger picture of, I'm hoping that I'm giving a bigger picture of the work of meditation. I may not be successful, but at least I want to say what I want to, um, what I know has helped many people. Because this lady I was talking about, that Singapore lady, she suddenly, she wrote an email to me, I only met her about you know, that meeting, she wrote an email, she, she, she was saying, and I hope I have to edit all this, she was saying, she was saying that, um, <laughs> she was saying that she was reading, she was in London, she was reading a little book of my teaching which I gave her, and she suddenly, she felt her mind was very different, you know. Suddenly she could maybe even enjoy the part she was in, she was not obsessed with missing out on Buddhism because she was not doing Anabhanasati. She wasn't moaning endlessly because she couldn't find her mind. Why is it? You know, when we moan, we can find our mind. It's a moaning mind. It's called a moaning mind. That's all. Simple, isn't it? So I hope from, on this retreat you can really uh, benefit from the little tips I've given you. Yeah. And then we go to the maybe the more technical aspect, you know. <coughs> I've done myself, I enjoyed two years of Anapanasati in the forest of Thailand. So I have even though I never wanted to do Anapanasati before, I felt it was too technical. I like the big mind ex experience, you know, like I just made a, would um he didn't talk about the sound of silence at the time, but he would just uh, talk simply of being present and using the technique of the breath. Uh, or the or breast object, or the contact of the body, contact, we talked about the contact of our clothes with the skin, any object that can bring you back into the present moment experience. They're not magical objects. They just bring you back in the consciousness that's here and now. 